appreciate you guys so much. And uh, have you ever found yourself reading the Bible and you've been familiar with a particular passage of Scripture such as we're looking at in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. But then you kind of move on. And then all of a sudden, one day as you're moving up into 2 Corinthians chapter 29, it's like a bulb comes on. How come I never saw that before? Well, we'll see what I'm talking about here in a, moment, in, a, in a minute this morning here, but let's turn back to 2 Chronicles. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here today. I'll be preaching a lot about it, but I won't be spending a lot of time in here as we'll move a little bit later on into uh, the upper chapters. But verse 14 says, if my people who are called by my name will shall humble themselves, always say will, but shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Now one of the problems is that America is having a difficult time understanding what constitutes wicked. Unfortunately, I believe a lot of Christians are having a very difficult time. Some will say, well, I'm not killing anybody. I'm not robbing anybody. I'm not stealing anything. But there are, wickedness is simply, just simply disobeying God. It doesn't have to be egregious. It just has to be a matter of whether or not am I obeying God. That's, to, to disobey God is wickedness. But he goes on there and he says, uh, uh, and uh, then, then will I hear from heaven and, and will forgive their sin and will heal, heal their land. And he deals with that in the latter end of the chapter as well. But maybe I should have titled this message, A Sleep at the Wheel, because I believe there's a lot of believers who are simply asleep at the wheel. Because as the signs of the rapture in the last days grow more obvious. Now, in my lifetime, I'd always hope that we might see the rapture before I die. And the way things are going, it may well be just that. <laughs> Maybe before. And I don't have a lot of time left, so Lord, you got to hurry up. Uh, in this case here, and I'm sure that some of you might feel the same way as I do, uh, for sure. But uh, the days are growing more obvious. Uh, churches are emptier than they've ever been before. The fundamental Bible-believing churches are emptier than they have been before. Now, those churches that are full are usually those who have a dog, a dog and a pony show or uh, some big-name individual that is to draw the crowds there, uh, one thing or another. But I remember Dr. Larry Aikens saying, he said, uh, he said uh, as a, I love Dr. Aikens and I, we loved his family. Uh, the many years that he spent with us preaching here with us in the, in the midst of us and uh, our evangelistic outreaches and so on there. Uh, he was a good preacher. He was a rock-solid preacher. But you know what, preachers? I can't get into the bigger churches because I don't have a dog in a pony show. Yeah. If I don't have something like that, he said, I can't get into those bigger churches. Not just that. He said, I'm content because God's given me a lot of the small churches. And we praise God because uh, uh, we can't afford to have those, those, those dog and pony shows coming in because they always want an upfront uh, amount of money. And we're used to having men of God who love God, who want, love preaching the word of God, come for a love offering. And we've always done our best to make sure that it was that we took care of all their expenses here and then some, uh, for sure, uh, along the way. Uh, but it, it, there doesn't not seem to to be much of an urgency about the state of Christianity or or the state of where we are spiritually in our personal lives. As long as I show up at church and get a gold sticker for the day, I'm good to go. But the rest of the week is mine to live the way I want to live my life. Well, good luck with that one. 
Because that's not what God says. That's not how the Word of God reads. And we'll see that here in this morning. You know, it's amazing when we read of messages that God prepared in the hearts of His prophets to His people Israel, Jeremiah, uh, Isaiah, and uh, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And you can go and mention a few of the other many minor prophets. Not that their messages were minor by any stretch of the imagination. But uh, about the shameful state of Israel and, and Judah's spiritual spirituality and the years of warnings concerning his judgments against Israel and Judah. You figure out between Isaiah and Jeremiah, we've got pretty close to over 100 years without the minor prophets being included in there. Of men who are preaching what God has, has given to them to preach, warning Israel that if they don't turn around, they're going to pay a price. And yet, the Bible says that as time went on, they, they, they uh, didn't want to hear the messages. And Jeremiah, I don't know that he had a single convert the whole time he preached, uh, or turning Israel around one way or another. But anyway, the massive loss of life, loss of country, loss of freedom, loss of home, and forced to live under the rule of a godless king serving false gods, that was what was going to happen to them. And he warned them ahead of time. That you're not going to be in this land. And of course there were others out there who said, oh no, no, that's not going to happen. Some said, well yeah, it's going to happen, but it's only going to be a couple years. Uh, as if they had their own ideas when God said something altogether different by his true prophets. So as one reads through the major prophets of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, just to mention three of the big ones, and a few of the pre-exilic minor prophets, the messages were plain. The growing foreign threat and even the specific the specificity. Can I get that word out? I never should have typed it out. I never should have typed it out. <laughs> My fingers can type it, I just can't pronounce it. <laughs> the specificity of God's message. I mean, God was specific. He told them. He told them it was going to be the Assyrians for the northern ten tribes. Then he warned Judah, even after they had carried away the, uh, the tribes of Assyria and they had already put uh, Judah uh, under, uh, under um, taxation and uh, uh, What's the other word I'm looking for? I can't think of the other word is when you, uh, tribute. Uh, that they had to, they levied a tribute against against Judah. It was like no big deal, big deal all the way around. Well, God warned them. Listen, I got another fellow down here called Nebuchadnezzar, and he is a head of the Babylonians, and they're going to come up here, and they're going to wreak havoc like you have never heard of or seen or experienced in your life. He's going to carry you away from your homeland. He's going to carry you off to serve a pagan king under pagan gods, pagan people, and life is going to be different. So, for the most part, it all fell on, on deaf and disinterested ears. Much like today's events, whether here in America or around the world, it's all coming together, and God, through his word, has given us all that is necessary to put it all together. Folks, we can, as redeemed of the Lord, put two and two together and come up with four. Amen? Others are looking at two and two and they're coming up with three and they're coming up with five. I don't know where they went to school. Maybe some other math. I don't know. But two plus two says, listen, America is in a serious state of immorality overall. And so um, if believers are paying attention, Israel and Judah had reached a point in time when there was nothing they could do to turn their idolatrous carnal living around in order to change what God was about to do. There was a time, God says, there's coming a point in time when all grace is done. You have no hope. I am determined to carry through with what I said. So America as a nation may not be able to turn herself around. I don't know. Uh, 
Uh, some, some believe we can. I believe that all things are possible with God. Amen. But I really don't in my entire lifetime see anything that would cause God to want to turn us around. There's not a lot of real, solid, fundamental, Bible-believing revivals that have taken place in individual lives or in homes or in churches. And so we need to experience individual revival if, uh, if, if, if as individuals who are saved are willing and desirous of a relationship with God in the midst of a very dark time. Now, I see 2 Corinthians 7.14 posted often as if it were some sort of a magic bullet. All you do is just begin to pray these things here. And uh, I probably fell into that, that group as well, just thinking. And then all of a sudden when I get up there into the, into the life, the, the, kings, the kingship of King Hezekiah, I began to see some things that how personal this thing really is. Because we tend to look at that and we say, if my people, and we're thinking of a group, and we're waiting for something... Uh, uh, really to take place on the overall largesse, if you will, of, of the Christian life. But revival is something that takes place in an individual's heart, one individual at a time. Turning that home, having a revival in the home, so that dad and mom and, and all that live within that home are all on the same page, spiritually speaking. And then they, they, that overflows into the church. And the church begins and then it goes to the neighborhood and so on as people got getting saved and people getting mentored and people are, are desiring to live for the Lord. But 2 Corinthians 7.14 is not a magic bullet in which uh, little to new energy on our part is to be expended beyond prayer. So I'm going to cover some, some scriptures that, that tell us the work that is not for the faint of heart. Revival is never for the faint of heart. If you're weak-kneed and wishy-washy, then you're never going to see revival. Because you're always going to go with the path of least resistance. Because when you get a revival in your heart, and you stand up for the Word of God, and for the person of Jesus Christ, you're going to find some resistance. Amen? And if you haven't felt any resistance, it's probably because you're not doing what God called you to do along the way. And so with that in mind, Lord, we pray that you'll guide and direct and guide and direct us as we look to the message today, that, Lord, you'll be honored, you'll be glorified, but, Lord, that we'll be challenged, and, uh, Lord, that we'll walk out of here and realize that maybe we have been, uh, we have been uh, lackadaisical, and we ought not to have been, that, Lord, we may have been indifferent, or that, Lord, we may have been exercising too much apathy along the way, and, and Lord, we have not really been uh, living the life that you've called us to live and to minister uh, in this world as you have called us to minister. And so, Lord, you guide and direct, again, whether to salvation or to rededication. Oh, Lord, for a craving and a desire, a hunger and a thirst for revival. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first point I want to make this morning is making the hard decisions. And that really is what Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14 is about. It's about God's people making hard decisions. It's so easy to get caught up into a particular way of living your life. Maybe a spasmodic Bible readings, Bible study, prayer time, church attendance, any of those kind of things there. But God wants us to get serious about these things. He wants to get serious about studying. That's why he, he didn't put there, uh, casually read the word of God. Second Timothy uh, 2.15 says, what? Study. So that is your responsibility. Oh, but preacher, you know, we pay you to study. Yes, you do. But I would do it anyway, even if you didn't pay me. <laughs> See? They're going to walk out and say, now we just made a... A whole lot more money this year. <laughs> We're not going to pay the preacher. But if I wasn't a pastor, I would, I would, and I should be studying the Word of God. Uh, 
How many of you ever been in Boy Scouts? They had three fingers, don't they? <laughs> Cub Scouts, too. <laughs> uh, how many of you have ever been in Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, back, back in the day when they were a decent organization? They gave you a manual, didn't they? And if you wanted to get those wonderful little merit badges, not that God gives out merit badges, but you had to do what? You had to study the manual. You had to learn the oath. You had to learn a number of things like that. Then you had to learn what? What was the requirement for this? What was the requirement for that? And you did those things. Well, we're to study the word of God because God has expectations of you and I. And you won't know what those expectations are, let alone how to meet those expectations because sometimes we think God's expectations are way up here. And though they are because God has high expectations of his people. And why should he not? He has given us his infallibly preserved word. He has given to us the indwelling Holy Spirit of God so we're capable of those high expectations if we're willing to surrender and to dedicate our lives accordingly. But you're not going to get to those high expectations with a willy-nilly kind of a Christian life. And so we see here in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14, we see verses 2 and 3. Um, turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 29. We're going to be looking at a fellow by the name of Hezekiah. Good King Hezekiah. And uh, in, in 29, we see here the first order of business was getting the house of God cleansed and in use. Now, the, the previous kings hadn't done a very good job. The uh, house of God was in a state of disrepair because there's no interest. There was no interest spiritually, there was no interest physically. And so it was just the doors were closed. There were some of them opened it all. There were idols all around. There were idols, idols in the groves. There were idols on the mountains. There were idols in the, in the end of every street and so on. Uh, but idolatry was in full bloom in, in, in Judah. And so we see here beginning in verse, 29 verse 1. It says, Hezekiah began to reign when he was 5 and 20 years old. Now, he was not that old to make a really good decision. So young people, I want you to understand something. This point. God has expectations of you. He has high expectations of you as an individual. And there are things that you can do and things that you should be doing for God, uh, even as this young man did at 25, taking over the responsibility of the kingdom. And what does he do? Well, the Bible tells us. Uh, and, uh, and his mother's name, it says, was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was what? In the sight of the Lord. Hmm. According to all that David, his father, had done. He, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. There's some God, Christian hearts that need some repair in there. Some Christian hearts that have become very worldly and very carnal. But verse 4, he says, And he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them together into the east street. Now, you wouldn't have thought that he would have had to do that. You would have thought that they would have been in operation all along the way, that they would, they would have been faithful all through all those years, but they had become lax, they had become indifferent, they had become apathetic towards Christianity. But in verses 2 through, three, 2 through 3, it was to establish the importance and priority of the house of God. Now, a lot of people feel that we don't really need the house of God. Hey, I go once a week. What do you really want from me anyway? <laughs> I've got other things to do. Well, what is the importance of the house of God in your life? It should be extremely important because God is going to tell you things and share some things with you in the service that you may not get anywhere else. Plus, I notice that those who are faithfully attending church on a regular basis, they have a closer walk with God. But that's, a, that, that's because 
because of that walk, they choose to be in church where the word of God is being preached because they're afraid they're going to miss out something that God has to say and they don't want to miss out on a thing God has to say. Do you feel like that when you read the Bible? I read the Bible because I don't want to miss a thing that God has for me in here. Well, verses 4 and 5, very quickly, and it says, And he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them together into, this, in, in, into the east street and said unto them, Hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord God of, of your fathers and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. Filthiness had infiltrated the temple of God, the house of God. What were these priests doing? Probably what a lot of preachers are doing today in America. Not really preaching the word of God. Not teaching, not preaching. Perhaps maybe not even living, becoming caught up more in business uh, and so on uh, of the day. So it reveals the sad spiritual state of Judah up to this point. If there is one building in any community that ought not to be abandoned or the doors closed or filth existing there, ought to be where the house of God is being, where the word of God is being preached in the house of God. And that is the one place that we should definitely expect to hear uh, fiery sermons. Where sin is named. You know, people are scared to death to name sin. Well, if I preach on sin here, someone's going to leave and this person's going to leave and that person's going to do this and that person's going to do that. My, my job isn't to placate you. My responsibility to God is to preach the word of God. Whether you like it or whether you don't like it. So verses 8 and 9. And it says there, uh, Wherefore the wrath of the Lord was upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he hath delivered them to trouble, to astonishment, and to hissing, as ye see with your eyes. For lo, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Now, Nebuchadnezzar has not come up here yet. This is done by Sennacherib with the Assyrians when they took over Samaria. And they made sure that on, on the way back that they ransacked uh, Judah and made them pay tribute. And in the process, they lost the people lost lives in trying to defend the city, but they lost and so, verses 8 and 9, they saw the troubles that they were in. And they were still seemingly clueless. God had carried off the northern ten tribes because they had become extremely idolatrous. And some years later, Judah is in the same mode, same practice. Idolatry is in the increase. So it was time to make some hard decisions in verse 10. Now it is in mine heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel. Now that's important. To make a covenant with the Lord. Now if you're saved... What is a covenant? An agreement between you and the Lord. Lord, I want, I, I want to be used by you. Lord, I'm, I'm going to dedicate my life. I'm going to surrender my life. I'm going to yield my life. Lord, I want you to use me in whatever way you see fit or you deem uh, uh, possible. Use me to the Lord. So if you think what happened recently concerning the Assyrians and Samaria along with Judah having to pay them tribute, uh, think again as we note the word there in verse 10 that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. Hezekiah had an idea that if, is, that if Judah didn't turn, turn themselves around, spiritually speaking, that they were in for worse. It was already pretty, pretty bad. They were really already in some serious trouble. They had experienced some real genuine heartache when they lost loved ones. Or when they saw their money and the thing, their hard earnings going to, uh, to the Assyrians along the way. But he said, listen, it's going to get worse if we don't get right. 
You know, America, it's going to get worse. You say, how can it get any worse, preacher? We're already paying. We're paying almost, you could have fed your family for two weeks for what you spend one week at the grocery store. The same thing with the cost of everything that's going up. Let's face it, our, our paychecks don't go very far. Because America has ceased to honor God. You as an individual may honor God and God's taking care of you. But overall as a nation, you're still going to pay the same price that the unsaved pay. You can't go into the store and say, I'm a born-again believer there, so I want you to cut half, half, half off the loaf of bread there. No, we're going to pay the same price. And so we have to understand that he understood that, hey, listen, we need to turn this thing around before it's too late. Things are going to get worse. And so while we are thinking in terms of a physical building, and oftentimes we do that, and it was indeed that, but we are living in a different dispensation and the temple of God is no longer a building. The temple of God is what? It's our body. It's our body. Our body is the temple of God. And so as we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you can put your finger back there. We'll be back into 2 Chronicles chapter 29. But uh, very quickly as we go over to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16, uh, Paul's talking about building on a sure foundation, and that sure foundation is the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he said that we had to build wisely on that foundation. And God has given us the ingredients and the tools and the materials that we need to build on that foundation. But he comes to, the, uh, to, the, to a place in that, in, that, in that chapter, almost in the middle, and he says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? Now, in Hezekiah's day, the people's hearts had become indifferent. They had become apathetic to their responsibilities to God and to the temple, which was to be the center of spiritual life for God's people. Now, the center of your home ought to be the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? The center of your home ought to be the Lord Jesus Christ with the Word of God. And we gather around the, the center, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We can put it a different way there. Uh, there's a throne that exists in your home. And how your home goes depends on who's on the throne. And sometimes Christ is on the throne and then we depose him so that we can sit on the throne. Amen. And we do that in our lives oftentimes. But we need to make sure that Jesus Christ sits on the throne so that our lives and all the things that go on in the home and about the home are centered and focused on the person of Jesus Christ. Now the world at large said, well, you just get a little bit too religious there, preacher. Well, listen, wherever Israel struck camp in the wilderness... The, 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 the wilderness tabernacle was in the center. It was always in the center. Everybody built their, their tents all around the, uh, the uh, wilderness tabernacle. In, in, the, in the city, if you've ever been to Jerusalem, uh, the temple was high on the hill. Now the mosque is there, and parts of the temple are there, and you can see some of those things. You can go down underground, and you can see those things that are there. But uh, uh, in the New Testament, listen, this is, this is the temple. This is where God dwells. This is where the Holy Spirit of God dwells. In our hearts. And so, it is much different today among the vast number of believers. So long as we give God a token nod, but not give Him our lives, just a nod, to appease Him. Well, God is never, ever going to be satisfied with a token nod. God wants all of us. How many of you only want just a little bit of Jesus? How many want you, anybody here want just a little bit? Or do you want to have full access to him? 
You want to have full access to the person of Jesus Christ? Then gave him full access to you as an individual. And so his greatest desire is to have our full attention by giving him our whole life. Now, that doesn't mean I have to become a pastor in a pulpit. It doesn't mean I have to have a church in order to preach from. Men, you're the leaders in your homes, and God has expectations of you as the leader of the home to direct the home. As Joshua said, as for me and my house, or as for me and my home, we shall what? We shall serve the Lord. That's our responsibility as men, to see to it that our families, that our, that our wives and our children are serving the Lord. By ourselves being the leaders, serving the Lord. Not a, you do this, but let's go together. Let's work together, amen? Let's work together in the local church. Let's work together in our community. Let's get the gospel out. Get the word of God out there. And so God does not need a token Christian. He needs, he desires for us to be full-time Christians, living a full-time Christian life wherever it is that he has placed us. We need some godly lawyers. Aren't you thankful for people like Dr. Gibbs? Uh, I'm trying to think of a couple of the other guys. can't think of some of the other guys right now, but uh, both the father and the son. Uh, we support both their ministries. Uh, godly men who are standing up and fighting battles that fo- folks are not easy battles to fight. And they're costly battles, but they've given their lives, dedicated their lives to fighting for Christian schools and for the, uh, the independence of churches and, and all the zoning laws and all. Because the world doesn't want us here. The world doesn't like us. And yet we have these men. He need, we need godly executives. We don't need the Bezos. We don't need the uh, Bill Gates of this world. Somehow they made these millions of dollars because they happened up on one thing. Now they think they're geniuses and they want to run the world. As if they could somehow do better than what God's doing. <laughs> Give me a break. I forget the latest thing Bill Gates is up to. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Aren't you glad you're saved? Aren't you glad you have the indwelling Holy Spirit of God? Aren't you glad we have the Word of God this morning? Amen. So living our lives firmly fixed on the foundation of biblical principles and precepts that he is faithfully and infallibly preserved for us to know and do. Christianity is not something we just do on Sunday or maybe Wednesday night if you have the time to cut out of your schedule. Christianity is seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, and for all of eternity. So I believe that there are a number of professing Christians who are living on borrowed time. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you can turn back here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is interesting. Oops, Any other time would pop right open. Anyway, uh, chapter 3 and verse 17. It says, if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God what? We're not talking about a building here. We're talking about a human body who professes to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And he says there, if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. Now that means that there is a point in time when the people of God who are, who are, who are, who are, uh, saved uh, uh, coming to a saving knowledge in the person of Jesus Christ if we're going to live godless wicked lives God's going to terminate our lives early we are not going to be able to live a life that is a mockery to the holiness and to the righteousness and to the purity of God many times as believers I'm afraid that we make foolish decisions without even thinking how is this going to impact the holiness of God 
How is this going to how is this going to testify to the to the purity and the holiness and and, and uh, of the person of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? And yet we go and make these decisions anyway. And so he says there, if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. He's not going to let you continue to defile your body and to make a mockery of him. And his son's death that saved us from our sin. So 1 Corinthians 3.17 is written to believers who refuse to acknowledge the lordship of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're talking about. Determined that I'm going to live my life. I'm going to live it my way. I'm glad that I'm saved, but I'm going to live it the way I want to live my life. And we don't, and we completely discount, I should say, we completely discount the lordship of Jesus Christ. Well, how do you want me to live? I mean, you know, God may, may want you to be a mechanic. But he wants you to be a godly mechanic, an honest mechanic, who that you can take, uh, somebody can take their car to and know that you're going to do the right thing. Not that all mechanics are crooked, by the way. Uh, he may want you to be a doctor or a candlestick maker. I don't know. He may want you to be a number of different things out there. Because we need godly, born-again individuals who have the lordship of Jesus Christ in every walk of life. Amen. Amen. We need them. But God's the one who should be doing the leading. Well, Lord, this is what I want to be because I can make lots of money. And, well, you know, that's not lordship of Christ. Now, if he leads you to do that, that's wonderful. So we can't afford to give Christ so little in return when he has given us so much. Think about it. We give him so little when he has given to every one of us so much. Uh, Romans chapter 13, as I had mentioned, I'm, I, I almost gave away. Oh, I, I mentioned Steve's message, by the way, in the adult Sunday class this morning because we touched on it. And uh, so you, you plan on being here tonight. Your opinion matters. <laughs> and uh, he's going to be coming from the book of, uh, of uh, Mark. And I read it from a different book, but it's the same idea. So anyway, Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14 says, um, oh, wrong chapter there, okay, there you go. Oh, and he says, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time. What is high time? It's the moment to be seized. We cannot be lackadaisical. We can't be indifferent. We can't be flat-footed. It's high time. Uh, I was sharing with Steve earlier that uh, I love to listen to Dr. Adrian Rogers. He's gone home to be with the Lord, but they, they have his messages uh, still uh, on, online out there. Man, what a preacher that guy is. He preached a message right from here. And it was a powerful message. And uh, I just mentioned it in passing because it's high time for us as individuals to wake up and to realize that we are definitely closer to the rapture than we have ever been in history. Amen? Amen. Now, whether that's tomorrow, next week, next year, 10 years, 100 years down the road, I don't, we're closer. Amen? It could be tomorrow. And we'll have a barbecue in heaven on, on Tuesday. How's that? <laughs> but anyway, um, he goes on and he says, uh, uh, and that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep I think it was Dr. Vance Havner said that revival among many Christians means that you have woken up long enough to roll over on the other side to go to sleep again. <laughs> and that's it. Revivals typically don't last very long. But Dr. Adrian, he was preaching, and he said, it's high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. Now, I am saved, but I'm not in heaven yet. I've, I've got my ticket. I have my reservations. I'm going when the, when the trumpet sounds. I'm going. I'm ready. Are you ready? 
I'm going. But the ultimate act of my salvation is when this body is transformed and it becomes immortal and incorruptible, as it says in the First Corinthians chapter 15. This mortal shall put on incorruption and immortality. And uh, I'm going to have that glorified body. I'm going to finally lose that weight I need to lose. I'm going to get the victory over sugar, too. <laughs> but anyway, be that as it may. Um, it is high time that we awake. And so, as I said, Rogers, uh, Adrian Rogers preached a message. And he said, it's time to wake up, time to clean up, time to dress up. Look what he says in the other verses here. And he says uh, in verse 12, the, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the what? Armor of light. Let us not walk, uh, let us rather, let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provisions for the flesh to fulfill the lust. So you got verse 11 is the wake up, 12, 13 is the clean up, and verse 14 is the what? Dress up. Dress up. Suit yourself like a Christian. Put on the word of God. Uh, make it an integral part of, of your thought processes and, uh, uh, and every other aspect of our individual lives. And so very quickly here, I'm not sure what time it is. What time have you got? Five minutes, okay. I think we're doing five minutes. I, I, I have to put on my maniac and speed limit and, and get going here. So uh, number two is making the right decision back in Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14, which we've read. He says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. And the emphasis is on humble themselves. Now, back in Second Chronicles chapter 29, verses 11 through 13, I'm not going to read all of them. But all as you look down here from 11 all the way through the end of the chapter, we hear about all that was the process that was taking place in order to humble themselves, to admit that they were wrong, to admit that they had been disobedient, and they sought forgiveness. They humbled themselves, and they began to make the changes in their personal lives as well as into the house of God. And so we have to do the same thing in our own lives. Now, it takes a humble person to come to the place where they will fully surrender their lives uh, to God and humbly allow God to expose the deepest, most inner desire of our hearts that he might reveal those things about our thought life that displeases him. And that's the problem. We don't want to humble ourselves. We don't want to dedicate ourselves because we don't want God to expose some of the things that we are unwilling to deal with. And so the carnal excuses that we use to justify why we don't walk in a fully obedient and surrendered life. Why don't we? Well, you know, David, a man of like passion as us, didn't want anything of this world, of his thought life to rule the day. And cause him to lose his fellowship and usability for God so much, uh, so much so, uh, so much was at stake as a servant of God. And so David prayed humbly. And this is what he prayed in Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. You've heard me say it many times. He said, search me, O God. You know, it takes a humble person who really wants what God wants just to ask him, say, search me. Well, it's open doors, open house, any place, anywhere you want to go through my mind. You go there. And what you find in it that displeases you, Lord, you bring it to my attention. 
And by your grace, I'm going to deal with him. So he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Uh, uh, next one, next verse after that was, he said, I, the Lord, try the reins. I've got that messed up. But anyway, uh, uh, Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. Now, why is this important? Because our hearts, when influenced by our flesh, is as the Holy Spirit through Jeremiah speaking to God's people then and now reminding us that our hearts are desperately wicked. Well, my heart doesn't look like that preacher. God sees our hearts differently than you and I see them. Now, what does it mean to be desperately wicked? It means I want want what I want and I want my way when I want my way. I'm going to do what I want when I want how I want. That's desperately wicked. And so we, get, we ask God to get into the very recesses of our mind, get into the recesses of reasoning by which we set aside the word of God, why we set aside why we're not going to be obedient to God and do our own thing. And so desperately wicked is, is, is wanting its own way and willing to do anything to get it even if it means dissing God and his righteousness in the process. Or in an attempt to try to reason away. I know what God said over here, but this is the circumstances and this is what I feel. You know, feelings get you in a lot of trouble. When you, when you, when you put feelings above facts. It's because the facts of the word of God are meant to bring our emotions in a check. So that our emotions don't run wild and we find ourselves disobeying. And so, under that, uh, let me give you an idea here what I'm talking about. A Christian marrying an unsaved person is a result of a desperate heart wanting its own way. Amen? And we already know that God says that we're not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Entering into any kind of a contract. Or living together without being married is a desperate heart wanting its own way rather than obeying God. Well, everybody in the world's doing it. Well, not everybody in the world's going to heaven either. You better watch who you, who you pattern your lives after. You better not be patterning your life after Hollywood or after some of these highfalutin uh, uh, sports figures or anybody else out there who is making bazillions of dollars and, and they live lives independent of God, wicked, uh, wicked, desperate lives uh, to, uh, to live their lives out. Uh, don't pattern your lives after them. I mean, heavens forbid if we should pattern our lives after someone like Jeremiah and Isaiah or maybe Daniel. <laughs> heavens, heavens forbid we, should, we do that. But living together without being married is a desperate heart wanting its own way rather than obeying God. Being sexually active without being married, uh, adultery and fornication is a desperate heart wanting its own way. Especially when we know what God does. I, I believe the world, for the most part, is kind of clueless. And it's because we, we have uh, been away with or toted the seriousness of the laws that were basically based on the Word of God concerning morality and immorality. So... We're living in a day and age where this world's population with its desperate hearts wants to live outside of God's stated precepts, whether it's same-sex marriages, the foolishness of sexual dysphoria, and the denial of science when it is convenient for them to do so. Isn't it amazing? Oh, science says, and we're going to go with that. All of a sudden, science said, oh, you can't go with science over here. Well, you know, that's the problem. When Christ is not the Lord of your life, then anything goes. We justify whatever we want, whenever we want, as we want, because it's convenient and not inconvenient. So God has given and preserved his word so that we can know exactly what he wants and what he expects from us in any given situation. However, a desperate heart doesn't want to read the word of God because then we become accountable. Therefore, it's easier to make excuses about how we can't understand the Bible. 
oh, I don't understand the these and the thous. Listen, most of us here are all high school. Amen? Some have maybe uh, maybe tech school or maybe a two-year college, a four-year college or something like that. If you can't stand the these and the thous, you need to give all your money back. <laughs> Send your degree back and say, they didn't teach me what I needed to be taught. Not that they're going to teach you the these and the thous. You should be able to figure it out. So, I don't know if it's too late for a national revival or not. I know that God can cause it to happen if we haven't gone too far. But for the redeemed of the Lord, uh, revival individually, it is always a good time if we are willing to humble ourselves and to seek his face. And that means in earnest to seek his face. We need to have our eyes open to what is happening around us because ready or not, Remember that when you see kids, you used to play hide and seek. Ready or not? One, two, and count to ten. Yeah, we'd cheat. Yeah, we would. But Jesus is coming again. He's coming for us in the rapture. Then he's going to come for what's left and put an end to the tribulation in his second coming. But in the meantime, those of us who are caught up in the rapture, we're going to give account to him and hopefully it will be with great joy and not with great sorrow. Oh, Lord, I, I just didn't think all that was real. Yeah, it's real. Those who have followed the word of God are going to stand before him with great joy. And those who made light of the word of God, the precepts and the principles of God, their account is going to be one of sorrow. Wow. Lord, you really meant that. <laughs> oh, that was you. you. Lord, you were really serious, weren't you? Oh, yeah. So, godly men and women, young people alike, living dedicated and obedient lives for the Lord is the only hope that our unsaved family members, friends, neighbors, co-workers have of ever discovering the power of Christ to change lives and to provide hope and purpose. Making decisions others may not understand is important for you and I to do. Part-time Christianity, secret Christianity will not get the job done. So we need to answer this question. Not yours, Steve. Can God count on me? Can God count on me? Are you willing to say this morning, Lord, I'm here. And you can count on me to live my life for you and make a difference in this world for you. See, life is not about you and me. As redeemed of the Lord, our life is about the Lord Jesus Christ. Wherever it is, wherever he has us, doing whatever he has us to do. It's all about Christ. It's all it's ever going to be. Father, we thank you for this time that we can be together. Lord, we thank you for the patience of the folk that are here today. And Lord, as we prepare to go into the communion service, we pray that you'll guide and direct that Lord, uh, Lord, we'll just have this wonderful time. Lord, it's a little long in the tooth, but uh, Lord, we just pray that uh, you'll give us uh, additional patience as we go through the Lord's uh, Supper here to, this morning. But Lord, uh, you know the nature and the need of our hearts today, and you know, Lord, that we thank you for those who have been faithful. Uh, Lord, sometimes as a pastor, pastors feel like we're preaching to the choir. But Lord, we never know who is joining us online. We never know who's going to download these messages somewhere down the road. Lord, we don't know. Maybe it's been a rough week for someone and they've gotten a little bit beside themselves in the Lord and they just need to kind of get back on track once again. But Lord, whether it's to the young people or whether it's to those of us who are senior citizens here today, that Lord, you'll challenge us so that, Lord, we can say with a sincere heart, we can say that, Lord, you can count on me. Lord, you can count on me. Because, Lord, we know we can count on you. But, Lord, we have failed you so often. So, Lord, may this be the day that we make a firm commitment to you that, Lord, you can count on me. 
that you can count on me to do what you've called me to do, to live as you've called me to live. And Father, we'll give you that praise and the honor and the glory. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed on soul looking around. I'd ask you today, first and foremost, as a child of God, can God count on you? Can he count on you? And you talk to him in your heart and say, Lord, yes, you can. You can count on me. Don't say that if, if, if you're going to go out of here and just go back to the same old way of life again. God's calling you to a change and a challenge. He wants to be able to count on you. He wants to be able to use you. But maybe this one you're saying, preacher, I don't know if I've got a home in heaven. The most important decision of your life right now today is whether or not you're going to go to heaven or go to hell. That's your choice. That's your decision. God leads up. God's done all he can do. If you have never come to a saving faith in the person of Jesus Christ, with heads bowed and eyes closed, the same thing at home, would you raise your hand and say, preacher, pray for me today. I do not know where I'm going to spend eternity. But I'd like to get it straightened out. I'd like to get it worked out. Preacher, would you pray for me today? Well, Father, as we get ready to go into the communion service today, Lord, again, you know the nature and the condition of each and every heart. And Lord, we pray that you will guide and direct accordingly that, uh, Lord, as we have uh, uh, come to a saving faith in yourself, then we certainly are invited to, to partake in this. But, Lord, the condition for the believers are that our hearts are in the right, uh, are right with you today. But, Lord, for the unsaved, they need to abstain. So, Lord, if we're willing to get our hearts right, then, Lord, we may participate. If not, then, Lord, may we be bold enough to realize that, uh, that we need to pass, let it pass until we get our hearts right. So, Lord, you guide and you direct during this invitation, uh, during this communion time. We'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Gentlemen, if I could have you come.